The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. Producing one work and hoping this one gets big is just a silly life strategy. Producing a thousand works, four thousand works and letting a few of them catch on is a much better life strategy. It's Thursday and welcome back to another episode of the Next Big Idea Daily. Today, we're going to teach you how to get lucky. That's right. Luck, despite all appearances, isn't random. It's something you can cultivate. It's something you can hack if you know the right strategies. And you should, because in many areas of life, most of them really, luck plays an important role in success. My guest, Seth Stevens-Davidowitz, is a data scientist who went deep on the question of luck. And he did it by studying one career path in which the role of luck is disproportionately large, and that's the career of the creative artist. And whether or not you make your living as a musician or a painter, there's a lot you can learn from those who do. There is, there's no question about it, a lot of luck in life. But data suggests success depends less on getting unusually lucky and more on doing the good things with the luck you can expect. One way to hack luck in your favor is to increase your luck surface area. Travel widely to let luck find you. Studies of painters have found the biggest predictor of painter success is presenting to a wide range of galleries. This allows them to stumble on a big break. Painters who don't succeed in contrast tend to present their work at the same place over and over again. Not a good idea. Another way to hack luck in your favor is to put more work in the world. Studies of artists have found that one of the biggest predictors of success is releasing more work. More quantity allows more chances for the world to give you a lucky break. One way to get luckier is to be willing to get rejected more. You may wonder, as I sometimes do as I'm walking down the street, how some people date people so far outside their proverbial league. Frequently, the data suggests these people just asked more people out and were rejected more often. Eventually, they got their lucky yes. The more shots you take, the more chances to get lucky. It turns out that there are ways to increase your luck. Yeah. There's something you call the Springsteen rule. Yes, this is uh, a study by Sam Freyberger and others on what makes a successful painter. Mm -hmm. And they found that the painters that make it big when they're unknown travel very widely to get their break. So the painters who don't make it big present their work over and over again at the same place. Painters who make it big travel widely, many different galleries until they stumble on a big break. Mm -hmm. And I call it the Springsteen rule because there's a story of Bruce Springsteen and how much he traveled searching for his break. Initially, he was an unknown artist in Asbury Park in the Jersey Shore, and he realized nobody's going to find me if I just keep playing in this bar. I got to travel. And then he started just driving everywhere until he got his big breaks. So that's kind of one way that you can increase your luck is just being out and about uh, instead of confined to the same place you haven't gotten your break yet. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense that you just expose yourself to that many more people. In the case of of an artist or a musician, that many more local papers that might write something about you, you just uh, increase your exposure. 
Yeah, it's increasing your luck surface area, basically. Increasing the amount of area you can potentially get lucky to meet the connection. It will transform your life. And then there's a kind of related phenomenon that you call the Picasso effect, which is, I think, the idea of just be prolific, like make a lot of work, give yourself more chances. Yeah, so there's this idea that successful artists, we know all their great paintings. We don't know just how many lousy paintings they produced. And Picasso drew 4,000 paintings. Bob Dylan wrote 1,000 songs or hundreds of songs. Mm -hmm. There's actually been shown a big correlation between quantity of art produced and how famous an artist ultimately becomes. And I think part of this is because there's so much luck in how a particular piece of art is received that you just have more lottery tickets than everyone else. Producing one work and hoping this one gets big is just a silly life strategy. Producing a thousand works, 4,000 works, and letting a few of them catch on is a much better life strategy. Yeah. And I think this goes against at least what some of us think of when we think of great artists that they've slaved over this piece and they're very precious about this masterpiece that they've crafted. And that might work out. But I think you're saying that if you made a lot of near masterpieces, you'd probably do better than making one perfect well, one. Well, I, I think they definitely do their work and they slave over it, Right. but they don't slave over it for one piece their entire life. You slave right. over it for as long as you can, and then at some point you put it out in the world. And another important thing is that a lot of people get in their own head and they don't actually put right. their work out into the world. And I talked about the story of Bruce Springsteen, obviously a big Springsteen fan, born to run, he didn't want to release the album because he thought it was garbage. And he had to be convinced by his manager, John Lando, no, this isn't garbage, this is good, put it out there. And a lot of artists don't do that. They convince themselves that you know they've produced crap and they don't allow the world to give them their lucky breaks. Right, so we're not always the best judges of our own work. And if we take too long trying to make something that we think is perfect by our standards, we might be missing the opportunity to just get more work out there. For sure. Outside of the world of art and music, how can we use this principle? I think you say that there's a, a lesson to be learned about dating. So I, I talk about you know how hotter people do better in dating. When they rank people, they ask people to rank their conventional attractiveness one to 10, you know, 10 is going to get a lot more messages. There was a part of that study where they asked what happens when a one asks out a 10. I'm thinking like one in a million, uh, one in a billion, is that even possible? Like who's, one's not hearing back from a 10. Mm -hmm. It turns out you look at the data, a male one reaching out to a female 10, 14% chance. Female one reaching out to a male 10, 34% chance. Pretty good. Not bad at all. That's not bad. (laughs) Yeah. Now, what does that mean? Let's say you have a 14% chance of hearing back and you reach out to 110. Mm -hmm. You have a 14% chance. What happens if you reach out to 30? What's the odds one of them will respond? You do the math, it's more than 98%. Oh, really? So flooding the market (laughs) with your requests is basically a massively underrated life strategy which people don't want to do because they don't want to face the rejection. Mm-hmm. So I think in dating, asking lots of people out is massively underrated. Okay, so in dating and in your career, travel widely and take a lot of swings. You might not become the next Springsteen or Picasso, but you might. And whatever field you're in, you're sure to increase your luck surface area. 
Come back tomorrow when Seth will wrap up our series of conversations with his data-driven to-do list for maximal happiness. You may or may not be surprised to hear it involves having sex on the beach. Join me tomorrow to hear all the juicy details. I'm Michael Kavanagh. See you then.